All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Thanks for coming back, by the way. <clears throat> Yesterday was a lot. I have no problem saying that. And, uh, you know, guess what? It's going to be like that today. It's going to be, hopefully, something that you can really grasp today and not just be spinning. But the reality is, is here you have a prophet, Isaiah, <clears throat> who's dropping a prophetic word, not only for just captivity, Okay, for people that are going to be in Babylonian captivity and then they're going to be out of it. That's another thing in itself. And then they're going to be going into Jerusalem. He gives those kind of words. And then from there, he then he paints this incredible picture about like the end of how beautiful it's going to be. Like, what is the new Jerusalem going to look like? What does that look like as Christ reigning as the king? Uh, it's just a lot. <clears throat> so to get to that point, let's back up a little bit. Isaiah 59, 60, and 61. In your daily reading, you have three chapters today. It's a lot, and so is the teaching component of it. So let me just say, in Isaiah 59, you know my Bible has a little heading, Sin and Redemption. Really what you see here is a whole lot of hypocrisy. You see a whole lot of hypocrisy. In fact, there's one verse I don't want you to miss. It says in verse 2, 59, verse 2, It says, but your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God and your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. You know, have you ever seen, Kevin, these diagrams where it's like sin and like this is us, right? And then over here is God. That's Isaiah 59 too. Like this is the barrier you can't quite get over, right? And so because of who you are in this whole struggle, but now if you go to the end of 59, 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouth of your children or from the mouth of your children's children from now on and forever. So here you have this, this, it's almost like what we would call from Isaiah 50, Isaiah 59, verse 21 really serves as like we would consider a transition or a pivot verse. Raymond Ortland described it as this is the before picture. And then what you're going to see, and so really this is Isaiah 59. So if you would have just, if you had this view of before, and then it goes to Isaiah 60, which is really the after. And then that transitions to the after. Just an example would be Isaiah 60. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. So it's a drastic picture, you guys, of how... Uh, hypocritical we are, how sinful we are, how the barrier is there. But then in Isaiah 60 says, yeah, but God has totally has you covered. And then you read through this whole presence. And then it says the Lord is our light in verses one through five. And then in verses six through nine, I'm in Isaiah 60. Then it talks about Raymond Ortland says, and I, the nations accept. There's an acceptance of the nations. And then it gets really interesting in 10 through 14. Uh, it says, then foreigners will build up your walls. And their kings will serve you. Although I struck you in my wrath, yet I'll show mercy to you with my favor. So then, Kevin, it keeps going in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. It begins to talk about how Israel and the nations, Kevin, come together. 
Okay, does that make sense? So here you have before hypocrisy. You guys got a lot of issues. Word and spirit covenant establishes. Then Isaiah 60 says, hey, by the way, we're now going to combine the nations. And and I want to just, I want to make sure everybody understands something. In in some of these uh, theologians, some of them automatically put in the church instead of Israel in this. Okay, I don't, I don't agree with that. Okay, and again, everybody has their different perspective on their take. I I just want to make sure I really believe he's talking to Israel and the nations. I don't believe he's talking to the church right here. Uh, And yet he is. Okay, and so when I say he is, uh, we, we could be the nation's mentality. Does that make sense? So like Israel will always be Israel. That's what I want to get to. Church does not replace Israel in this context of Isaiah 60. That's where I'm going here. So then when you bring in the nations, you're going to see unity in there, but it doesn't mean that anybody replaces anybody. Kevin, you want to attempt to fix that one? Uh, I think you cleaned it up pretty good. Thank you. Uh, You'll see in 15 through 18, you'll see how there's a transformation uh, within Israel. And then you will see in 19 through 22, uh, it's pretty straightforward, but how the Lord becomes our light. In verse 20, it says, The Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your sorrow will be over. Uh, and so you have this image of who the Lord is. So, here you have the before and the after of Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 60. I get it. That's a big overview. But that's why we're going to go to Isaiah 61. <laughs> Isaiah 61, to me, is just it's one of those priceless, priceless chapters would I go to the extent that is uh, Isaiah 53? That's yeah, pretty close. Uh, and, and why do we say that? Okay, you got to understand something. In Isaiah 61.1, okay, all of a sudden you have this language, okay, talking about the anointed one. Okay, that's really where we're going here. And you hear about the anointed one's mission, the anointed one's purpose, the anointed one's audience, okay? And so there's a description of this anointed one. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me. Now, Isaiah is communicating this, right, Kevin? That's pretty clear, but it's not Isaiah. Okay, this is the Lord speaking. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. I'm going to go all the way up to verse 3. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. To comfort all who mourn, to proclaim those for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. All right, Kevin, can we go to the big picture here? Okay, now as Christians, we automatically, we look at this text and we're like, praise God, they're talking about Jesus, right? Because our one word is Emmanuel, okay? Our one word is Emmanuel, God with us. And so what happens with Emmanuel? Emmanuel becomes (laughs) our bridge. Emmanuel becomes the guy, the suffering servant that takes our sins, wipes them away so that you and I can have access to God. I mean, this is what we've heard. This is what we know. I have no problem saying this is Jesus. In fact, I'm going to walk through how Jesus ministers in these four different areas today. But before I go there, I, I just kind of want to play the, the guy who's like, but what's the audience right now? Think about this, okay? Uh, Kevin, can you go Isaiah 42, verse 1? Okay, Isaiah is prophesying, okay? We know that in Isaiah 40 through 66, we hear this language of comfort, deliverance. 
I'm going to set people free. So in Isaiah 42, 1, he says, this is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. Okay, I think that's everybody's clear. We're seeing in Isaiah 40 through 66 an ongoing message about my servant. Okay, Isaiah 53, this servant that is, yes, bringing justice to the nations. Isaiah 53, he now becomes the suffering servant. Okay, does that make sense? So here, I guess here's what I want to try to articulate. He's been chosen. Okay, we've already seen that in Isaiah 42. We know that he's suffering in Isaiah 53. And then what you see really in Isaiah 62 is that he's the anointed one. Okay, and that he has specific roles, okay, that we can get into today. What does this have to do, though, with a bunch of people in Babylonian captivity? Does that make sense? Like, okay, yeah, you're going to be set free. We understand that communication. And in fact, Cyrus, okay, hear it out for a second, okay? Tom Constable says Cyrus was the Lord's anointed from Persia to set the Israelites free from Babylonian captivity, okay? So in their mind, okay, is this in any shape, way, or form Cyrus? Yes. Did you say yes? Like a no yes? In the, Well, <laughs> in their minds, yes, it's Cyrus because that's what they heard Isaiah say as it starts to come. Right? Does that make sense? I just, I want to keep putting things into context of, okay, now if I'm in captivity and then I hear a word, there's going to be a guy, he's going to be anointed. The good news is coming to the poor. What's the good news? Well, you're going home. He's going to use him to heal the brokenhearted. Man, I wish I was home. He's going to bring liberty to the captives. Like, hey guys, you can actually break free. You're going to actually, or you could say the oppressed, those that are experiencing things. And then this freedom to the, to the prisoners, I actually think he's probably actually talking about all that. You actually really are in captivity. So in that context, that messes with us as Christians, doesn't it? Like, no, that's Jesus. Clearly, it's Jesus. Yes, yes, it is. But I also want you to understand, maybe that's their lens. Kevin, what else you got? It's still, they haven't even went the captain. No, they're not even there. So they don't even know, what is he talking about? But now here's where I want to say this will mess up your theology with this mentality. Okay, if they have this Isaiah 61 at Cyrus, well, he doesn't fit Isaiah 53. It's not like Cyrus went through all the suffering. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like you really can't say that. So he doesn't fit the mold. No, it has to be something more than that. It has to be like this, a little bit of a picture, but there's more. Rich, you want to add anything to this part? From which perspective? <laughs> I mean, I think you're raising a good question. We always look at it as you just mentioned, and so that's how I always view this this chapter and these verses. And with Isaiah painting a picture of like, hey, it's going to get bad, and but yes, you are going to come back into your land, but I got something way bigger that ultimately you will be set free from, that oppression, that you will never be oppressed again because the freedom comes through Christ and his salvation that he brings you. But... I mean, if I were, if this, if I was one of these captives and I was reading this, I would be scratching my head. I don't know who he's referring to. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah, it does. So, okay, uh, let's go to verse one. I think this is a cool picture. And, you know, I don't normally do this type of language. In fact, I'm not even a big fan of the word Trinity. Okay. And the reason is, is because when you interact with people with the gospel and you use the word Trinity, they're like, hey, God's not, you, you worship three gods. Like that's their mentality. 
But I do think verse 1 emphasizes kind of a cool picture. Like he does emphasize the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit here. Look, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord God, that's actually God the Father, is on me, which Jesus will tell you that's him. So here you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which Isaiah is writing about. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, everything you're going to read, yeah, that's me. In fact, if we can, Kevin, can you go to Luke 4, 16 through 21? Jesus actually quotes this passage while in his hometown. Now, you want to talk about intimidating. Everybody knows Jesus. Everybody knows how he's grown up. Everybody knows his brothers, his mom, his dad. And in Luke 4, 16, it says he came to Nazareth. In fact, Kevin, we have a couple pictures here. I think it'll give you a good visual. So here we have the Nazareth synagogue. I love the fact that this is probably not what it looked like when Jesus was there. But this is the, the, the location, okay? So if we can go on into the synagogue, Kevin, this would be some of our crew here. So this would be the, the actual location, obviously maybe not the building. So when Jesus would have come into this location, into Nazareth, where he had been brought up, it's his hometown. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and just so you know, just to create, stir the pot. We're talking about Sabbath, not the Lord's day. <laughs> he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So when he read scripture, he stood up. And so what does he do? He takes this scroll, okay, of the prophet Isaiah. And this scroll was actually that reading that day was Isaiah 53. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was given to him and enrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, and what does he do? He begins to read Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed. Keeps going. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he reads Isaiah uh, 61, 1 and part of 2. He does read verse 2 in Isaiah 61, 2 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I just want to make sure everybody sees he does not read the rest of verse 2 that says, and the day of our God's vengeance, okay, and to come for all who mourn, so it's such and such. He only reads the part that says to proclaim at the end of the proclaim of the year of the Lord's favor. In Luke 4, verse 20, Jesus continues on. It says he rolls up the scroll. He throws it at the guy. Just kidding. He gave it back to the attendant. And what does he do? Because he had been standing up. He then goes and sits in one of these white plastic chairs. And the eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fixed on him. Like, he just read Isaiah 61. <laughs> and then he says in Luke 4:21, as he's sitting there, this is classic. Well, since you're all staring at me and you're waiting for me to say something, like you have to wonder, right? He just says, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now, Kevin, he only read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2a. <laughs> So we only read part of it, but he says everything that the Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah just wrote about, he says, oh, by the way, it's been fulfilled. What? Verse 22. I love this. They're all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. And yet everybody's murmuring. Hey, psst, isn't that Joseph's son? What is he talking about? Today's fulfilled. What are they? Hey, don't you know him? Haven't you seen him? Like, this is the image. And then, then Jesus said, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. All we're heard, all we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown. So then the questions begin, Kevin. And all I want to just focus on here is in Isaiah 61, it's read and Jesus says what Isaiah prophesied back then. If you go back to our prophets line and kings, yeah, it's done. I'm him. 
I am the anointed one that has actually been called to go to the poor, to go to the brokenhearted, to go to the captive, to go to the prisoners. Oh, that's, that's me. Whew. But he doesn't go there with the day of our God's vengeance because that would be in talking about the second coming. Wow. That's why when I look at Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, it's kind of like, he, he just answered all of my, uh, my little dot questions. You know, it's like, hey, you know, here's Isaiah 61. That's the current situation. But Isaiah prophesied about the first time the Messiah and Jesus took care of that. So we can now say, check. But he says that's fulfilled. But by the way, the day of our God's vengeance, that hasn't happened yet. Kevin, that's the closest we've seen in our timeline to actually seeing things come to fruition. So what does that even mean, the day of our God's vengeance? If that hasn't even taken place, if that hasn't even unfolded, if the day is still yet to come, what are we talking about here? Can you go to Isaiah 34, verse 8? Just a couple little verses that maybe uh, that will serve as a, a, as a reference point. Isaiah 34, 8 says, For the, the, the Lord has a day of vengeance, a time of paying back Edom for its hostility against Zion. So some insight in that would be, I'm going to go after the nations that went after Israel. Right? That would be a great picture. If you want to go to Isaiah 35, verse 4. Just one more chapter ahead. <clears throat> Isaiah 35, 4. Uh, so, so say to the faint-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Remember, he's talking about the remnant that's going to last <laughs> in the tribulation. Like, I feel like I'm reading Revelation right now. So he says, hey, by the way, remnant, hang in there. Don't pass out. Be strong because vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. So in this tribulation, I'm going after everybody else, but I'm going to save you. And I think, Kevin, don't don't we even say, at one point he says, go and hide for a little bit. You remember this? He says, go and hide for a little bit because there's going to be a lot of wrath that's taking place. It's like, this is what we're talking about. Are we talking about the seven years? Yes. First three and a half years, peace. Second three and a half years, a whole lot of just chaos and wrath. And somewhere at the very, very end, he comes back. So Jesus says, up until that point, this, these seven years haven't taken place. He said, that's fulfilled. I'm here. I have come to give these things that Isaiah has said. And then just one more. Let's go all the way to Isaiah 63, verse 4. <clears throat> Isaiah 63, verse 4. It says, for I planned the day of vengeance and the year of my redemption came. So here you have the Lord even prophesying that it's coming. Okay, <clears throat> now... Here's where I really would like to. I thought you guys maybe would get a rest from your head spinning. I'm totally going to make your head spin. Here's why. Okay, let's talk end times. Let's talk about when this happens. Okay, it says, and the day, I'm not predicting anything, by the way. I'm not predicting times, I'm not predicting any of that stuff. So when I say it happens, I want to give you some markers of things. Remember, Israel's watchman. Remember, we need to be like them and being watching and being ready for when he comes because we'll have an opportunity to worship with, with him. So it says, here's a little bit of an indicator. And the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. And then he says to provide for those who mourn in Zion. So let's just hang out with this mourning mentality for a second. All right, Kevin, let's go there. Can you go to for me, Kevin, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 23, 39. Okay, I want to see, I want to show you this building from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Scripture says, for I tell you, you will never see me again. This is Jesus saying, you'll never see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, Kevin, if he says it's been fulfilled, right? First Messiah, right? Jesus has come. Luke 4 fulfills 
Isaiah 61, 1 and part of 2, correct? So he says, you're never going to see me again. Okay, go back to Matthew 23, 39. Until what happens? Until you say out loud, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, so just go along with me for a second. So tribulation is here. Okay, you have seven years, right? Somewhere in this, Kevin, somewhere in this, somewhere in this, he says, until you say, blessed is he who comes, right? In the name of the Lord. So he's not coming back. So somewhere in here, they have to say this. Would we agree? Now, I want you to go to Zechariah 12, 10. This is the part to me that will tie in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. But I want you to see something. So if if Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 said, he says, it's been fulfilled. He sits down in the synagogue in Nazareth and says, it's a done deal. But then later on in Matthew 23, he says, by the way, you're not going to see me again until you cry out to me. In Zechariah 12, 10, okay, one of the prophets. So now here we go, Kevin. We're going to start talking about this language later on. Here you have Zechariah and he speaks after the Babylonian captivity. Okay, so after they have been freed, right? So Zechariah says some words and he says this, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. And they will look at me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. Okay, so here's what I would say is, is that at some point, I don't know if you can say if Matthew 23 happens first, if they begin to cry out, or I'm willing to bet, just, I, again, this is just Kyle praying. (laughs) What if they begin to realize that they've killed Christ. Okay? They begin to realize they've killed Christ. And then, Kevin, what do they do? Mourn. Well, yeah, they begin to mourn. After they mourn, what do they do? They cry out, saying, Blessed is he who comes, right? In the name of the Lord. So there's this time of mourning that takes place. What if this time of mourning, okay, now go back to Isaiah 61 too. I hope you're here with me on this one. It says, And the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. What if there's a part of this? I'm not saying it's only exclusive to the Jews, so don't hear me say that. I am just saying, what if part of this day of vengeance is, right, is to comfort those who mourn because why? Because they're crying out to the Lord. It all fits together. Kevin? I think through the vengeance, there's going to be a realization of what they've done. That's right. What they've missed for so long. Yep. It says in verse three, he's going to cut. Well, he's going to comfort all who mourn and then he's going to provide for those who mourn in Zion. And what is he going to do? He's going to restore them. He's going to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning and splendid clothes instead of despair. They will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. So as all chaos breaks out, as the vengeance takes place, they literally are going to receive. Oh, my, I can't believe this truth that we killed the Messiah. We killed the suffering servant. We killed the chosen one, the anointed one. And God says, it's okay. I'm still going to bless you and I'm going to give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Festive oil instead of mourning. Splendid clothes. In other words, you don't have to hang out in this posture of captivity. And I'm going to call you righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. I think this is a really interesting picture. Let me back up, though, in Isaiah 61, too. I, 
we're just going to hang out here. So Isaiah 61, 2, when he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, okay, here's the picture, right? He's coming to what? To address the poor. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. I thought I was going to teach on this, but we're just going to list them here. He's coming to address the poor. That's part of Jesus' audience. And so let me just say this, you guys. In your studies, as you look to engage people, okay, it's pretty clear in John 17, 18. Let me just say this. Can you go there, Kevin, for a second? John 17, 18. We are to do as, as the Father sent the Son. Like, this is who we're supposed to be. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent, the, I have sent them into the world. Right. So if Jesus was sent into the world and he says we're being sent into the world, remember, it goes back to the beautiful feet. All of this just keeps tying in, you guys, because there's good news. We have good news. Then who do we go to? Well, one of the groups is the poor. We are to bring good news to the poor. Again, this whole image, you guys, of they're probably talking about the Babylonian captivity. That's their grasp. But that's the beauty of the prophetic word is it's it's more than what we can grasp. So he says, all right, look, I'm, I'm going to go to the, bring the good news to the poor. You know, the reality of sin and death, uh, it does, sin does lead to death, but the good news is when you have faith in his love, you can have life. Like he's talking about this. But not only is he going to the poor, okay, but he also goes to, I would just say, how do we want to list this? Um, I'm going to list it a little, because in Luke 4, he lists, Jesus lists it just a little bit differently. He lists it as in Luke 4, Kevin, if you don't mind going there, which we can go to any of these. It doesn't really matter. It says he goes to the captives, right? And then it says, which could also be uh, listed as, then it says he goes to the blind, right? And then it says he goes to the oppressed. All which is language very, very similar to Isaiah 61. Luke 4 and Isaiah 61. And Jesus says, Look, I have fulfilled this. So we know this is the text that he's talking about. But this is our audience to go to the poor, to go to the captives, to go to the blind, to go to the oppressed. Like this is who we're supposed to reach out to. Why? Because in Luke 61, 2, he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To me, that's really the ultimate. The year of the Lord's favor is the ultimate picture of, of all of this. In Leviticus 25, 7, you're to count seven sabbatical years. Seven times seven years, so that the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. So, you understand this. So, this is kind of a, a big picture here. So, every seven years, you're to observe a sabbatical year. After seven sabbatical, seven sabbaticals, 49 years, you're supposed to celebrate on the 50th year. Okay? So, to go back to Isaiah 61, 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, what you're saying is, is all debts are canceled. Like literally that's what happens on the 50th year. All of the, the land that you were supposed to have, you, you actually return to the original land. All the slaves were freed. The year of the Jubilee, you guys, the year of the Lord's favor implies new beginnings. So when you have good news coming to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, to the oppressed, ultimately what you're saying is, is guys, we got a new start. And Jesus says, I fulfill that. I am the guy, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the suffering servant that offers you literally a new start. It's a cool picture, but here's what's interesting. But that's where he stops. That's where he stops. And this is the image. And so he's saying, you know, Isaiah is clearly saying to the Jews, I'm going to give you a new start as you go off from captivity. But then he says, and then the day of our God's vengeance is coming. And so here's what I'd have to say is, you guys, you have to hang on to this start, this new start in order to get through the day of vengeance, to get through all of these components. It's kind of like Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Yes, it's Jesus, 100%. It's totally Jesus. 
And yet at the same time, we haven't seen all of it come to fruition yet. It is an already but not yet. And so what do you do with that? I want to tell you guys is that our job is to go tell people, this audience, poor, captives, the blind, and the oppressed. How long should we do this for? We do this until he comes back. We do this until the day of vengeance. We do this until he comes back. And just maybe in this process, the Jews will mourn and realize who Isaiah was talking about. Maybe they'll begin to then say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then just maybe we'll get to experience the return of Christ. Two verses, Isaiah 61. We so did not get to the rest of this chapter. Wow. Bless you guys. Enjoy reading the rest of this chapter. Have a great day and uh, go live out Isaiah 61, please. It'll change somebody's life. Probably yours as well. Thanks. Thanks.